What an honor to be back home in Texas where people eat right and they talk right, things smell right. I'm from California. We, play, we pay for plastic bags. That is a crime. I, I, I remember the first week I moved into California, I went off in Target. She said, that's going to be 10 cents a bag. I said, 10 cents? Because we're worried about some fish choking on a bag? I said, I, I mean, I'm all for saving the environment. I'm all for taking care of stuff. But you're going to charge 10 cents out of my kid's education? And I love coming to Texas because they're like, you want paper or plastic? Do you need extra? Because you might need a trash bag at home. I'm tell- I love being back at Church on the Hill. Anybody excited to be at church? Wow, I am just so honored and and just excited, but I want to be just extremely honorable to the time because this is definitely an eternal uh, moment that we're having right here because there there are literally nations that are in the balance. And so I, I think it goes with saying that the amazing vision for Koth Mission streams down uh, uh, starting with Pastor Adam and Pastor Jamie. Come on, do you love your lead pastors here? Amazing leaders. But then you have this, what you don't know, you are walking among a giant called Erica Byler, who literally has stormed nations almost the entire time I've known her. In fact, when I was a youth pastor way back when, the first missions trip I ever took was actually with Erica Byler at, Glo- at Global Youth Net, and we went into Mexico and had a powerful time. Then we went to Guatemala and Japan. I'm telling you, you have a seasoned veteran. It could easily be her up here. Go and telling you more about missions. One more time, just some of these unsung heroes. Not all heroes wear capes. Some of them wore high heels, and that's Erica Byler. Come on, give it up for her this morning. She's amazing. But I, I, uh, last time I was here, I was right literally standing in front of something pretty special. We were doing One Nation, One Day Peru, where we amassed, we get, gathered the army of 10,000 missionaries. That's the largest missions team in the history of the church. It was historic. It was record-breaking. It is easily going to be unforgettable. 10,000 people from 43 different nations, 150 organizations pounding the ground in Peru for seven days. We, I wish I had more time to tell you about the 47 fresh water wells that we dug or about the 3,000 high schools that we went into in five days or even about the 14 medical clinics in 12 different cities that we did all over the nation or maybe the three logging boats that we remodeled in a medical triage centers and sent them three different directions down the Amazon River to treat people, give care and aid, and at the same time preach Jesus and seeing signs, wonders, healings, miracles, legs growing out, deaf ears popping open. It was incredible. I wish I could tell you more about uh, us deworming not just half a million, which was our goal. God would flex his muscle a lot stronger, and he would deworm one million kids from now, tapeworms and malnutrition in the jungles of Peru. We watched 1.7 million books be given out. One million of those were Bibles. That didn't happen because we just sat around and just made excuses. That, that happened because somebody went. Because there was a go that was sounded. There was a prophetic trumpet that was sounded. And there was a massive yes coming out of churches just like Church on the Hill. So can I tell you this? My assignment this morning is to stir up not necessarily a great vision, but I came to provoke you. I, I, I did not come to entertain you. I came to enlist you this morning. Because there is good, listen, this, the nation's being laid at the feet of Jesus. In Peru, we saw 1.1 million people reach face-to-face with the gospel of Jesus Christ in seven days. So now, with all the rebroadcasts on secular television, on Christian TV, I believe there, those numbers are over 5 million now. 
In 28 days, this is our fourth nation, our fourth campaign. In only 28 days of ministry in the life of our ministry, we have seen 3.6 million people have a face-to-face encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. These numbers are real. These are not padded. These are not maybe. These are documented because we believe that missions should have a level of excellence. Many times missions is, the, the bar of missions is, is downgraded because it's missions and it's known to be sloppy. Not at Church on the Hill. Not at Missions Me. Many times missions is the first introduction to people's gospel experience and it, shows, it should be the absolute best. Can I get a better amen in this Spirit-filled church this morning? All right? So... I came to really give you something fresh from my heart, and uh, I'm going to paraphrase. I know I'm in Dallas. I know I'm in the Bible Belt. Believe me, I have got this. I still consider this a home, my home church. These are my pastors, my spiritual parents, and I know that people in Texas love the scriptures, but we're just going to show them up there. I'm going to paraphrase it because I really want you to grab the heart of what God's saying. All right, are you ready for the word, though? Now, this is the 9 a.m., and there's some hungry people. You, you know you're hungry for God if you show up at 9 a.m. for church. Uh, I'm speaking as a millennial. I mean, we got people with Patriots jerseys on uh, up in here. That's brave. I'll tell you that right now. All right? So, but are you ready for the word? Yes. No, church, are you ready for the word? Yes. Say, come on, somebody. Come on. Say, come on, somebody. I don't even know. I don't even know. Okay. All right. I believe you. Turn on your Bible and go to Judges chapter 7. Judges, the seventh chapter, and we're going to read about somebody who I've been lost in his life, I'd say the better part of about eight months. The truth is, is that I can't see anything past this because I'm drawing so much, and I feel like I want to invite you in on the journey, perhaps the conversation God's been giving me uh, on this specific individual. I love the book of Judges. You know, for nowadays, you know, we've got some thin-skinned people who don't like a book named Judges. If we were going to righteously rename this book, you could actually rename it to Deliverers. Because that's exactly what God would do. He would raise up men and women to come in and lead a nation. They would deliver Israel and they would break this one pattern. Where the Israelites, they would get free, but then they would go back to bondage. They would get free and then they would become enslaved again. They would get free, but then they get conquered and they roamed around hiding in dens and caves, sabotage, can't grow crops, can't do anything. And so God would have to raise up his man or his woman to bring a deliverance move and sweep across the nation of Israel. And of course, you know, you have so many of this and I believe that in so many times that this is a cycle pattern that we see in the lives of believer, God, uh, God, in the lives of believers, God will bring a deliverance move, but then we find ourselves back in the same struggle. God will bring a moment of victory, but then we find ourselves in the same problem again. Or we're tempted again and we fall to it. We have a weak moment and we fall to it. When does that cycle get broken? I want to tell you that nations are literally, they'll have a move of God, but then the enemy just tries to come back and take it, about, take it away from them. They'll get freedom, they'll outlaw something that breaks the heart of God, and then somehow the enemy will find a caveat that he can worm his way into and be able to d- distribute and pollute all of the darkness once again. I believe that churches like Church on the Hill and missions teams coming out of this church are going to put an end, not a stop, an end to what is happening, and we are going to see a third great awakening sweep across not just our nation but the nations of the world what I love about this is that we have repositioned our heart one of the mission trips you will hear about is called one day LA well, right when we're doing the biggest thing we've ever done in the life of the ministry then God would ask us hey I want you to go ahead and start having a vision for something that that no one else has done 
Of course, people have done the days of harvests and crusades, but we want to do something bigger. In fact, what we're calling on, the vision is love has no limits. I believe that it's time for America to stop reading about movements in Africa and South America and Asia and have our own outpouring right here in our nation. And why not start with easily the most influential city in the world with the culture hub, the media hub, the communications capital of the world? Why don't we just storm L.A.? So we're calling, oh, I almost fell. We're calling on 20,000 team members from all over the world to form 400 teams that could easily pound the ground for 400 400 teams to take on almost every block in Los Angeles. And then we are actually going to lead us into a moment where for seven days we are going to soften the heart of the city with sports outreaches and uh, medical clinics and school outreach. Uh, Everything that we can do to literally get into people's homes, going door to door, doing sidewalk Sunday, going into Skid Row. I was in Skid Row on Thursday. It breaks my heart to find out there are whole families living in tents on city sidewalks and I can hear babies crying because they don't have any milk and their mother is a meth head and we don't know where the mama's at. I'm telling you, that is happening not in some third world nation. That is in the backyard of America. That's in Los Angeles. It's not more than three minutes drive from downtown LA. Let it not be said that we sat by, sitting behind, hiding behind all of our pews and all of our chairs and all of our comfort while we are watching this happen in our nation. No, we believe that the time for America is now. We believe that, a, that an actual movement is going to be birthed and we are going to culminate the week into a one-day, one-stadium event, possibly two, but we have just inked the paperwork. We have secured the UC Coliseum, the Memorial Coliseum where the Olympics have been. It's the largest venue in Los Angeles, the largest venue in California. It's the largest venue west of Texas. And it is, we are going to storm with 20 I'm sorry, with 20,000 team members, we're going to fill it, the 90,000, but we want to turn that stadium into a studio. We believe that we have got to rebrand the church to America because so long we have been known for what we are against and not what we are for. This is why missions is so important. And what would it be like if we're standing in a moment with the gospel message being preached, an altar call being given, the worship that's given up to heaven, not to anyone else? What would it be like if we had social media influencers take out their phones, the top 100 social media accounts, and live stream it right there, right in that moment, and, and the top 100 accounts, which you've, we, we've started to reach out to, is bigger than the viewing audience of major networks put together. This is one day LA. This is just one of the trips that you're going to hear about. But when I think about delivering a nation, I think about the the life of Gideon. You know, Gideon is found. He comes into our storyline. He's found treading wheat in a wine press. That's a whole other message in himself. But God comes to him and he says, God is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, hold up, hold up. You talking to me? You you talking to me? Hold up. You talking to me? And, and, And God's like, God is with you, mighty warrior. Obviously, Gideon doesn't believe this about himself, which tells me one thing. How you see yourself is so important. You are not the threatened. You are the threat the enemy loses close sleep about. I'm telling you, the, the truth is you are not the minority. You're the majority. You, you, I, I believe there are people in this room there that need to be awakened to this vision of what it takes to really transform nations. It takes you. It takes you being on the field. It takes you being on the front lines. 
So God comes to Gideon and says, you're a mighty warrior. Over a few seasons and a different uh, a set of, uh, of hoops that Gideon runs God through, all of a sudden Gideon starts to believe who he is, he is who God says he is. So finally God says, you can go to war against your enemies and deliver the nation, but first you got to tear down all the wicked idols. So they go and they tear down every wicked idol in the middle of the night. The next day, the men of the city are so mad, yet they realize that if this was a true God, he could come down and pick himself up. In this moment, Gideon grabs a trumpet, blows it in Judges 6.34, and it says the Spirit of God, boom, comes on Gideon right there. And the same men that wanted to kill Gideon now join his army. 32,000, just like that. And so Gideon's thinking, all right, I've got a small little army because the army I'm facing is innumerable. Maybe I should just actually start to move forward. And so they start to march. Now, as they're marching, God starts to come up with the battle strategy and starts to, I'm sorry, God starts to let Gideon know about the battle strategy. Gideon, again, I'm paraphrasing here in Judges chapter 7, verse 2. God comes to Gideon and he says, hey, Gideon. <laughs> he says, hey, Gideon. Um, the, the Lord said, you have too many warriors with you. I need you to tell anyone who's afraid they can leave right now. Whoever is full of fear on this mountain, whoever's afraid may leave this mountain. So 22,000, boom, gone just like that. Can you imagine explaining yourself for just a second? Can you imagine being like, Spirit of God comes down, trumpets, you'll find Gideon loves trumpets. This brother loves trumpets, okay? And he grabs a trumpet, and he blows it, 32,000, boom, falls down, right? They're ready to go, and they're, they're marching. They've got the chants going. They've got the anthem. They're ready to go to war. We're going to kill them. We're going to kill them all. We're going to take our land back. Whoever's afraid can go home. We're going to kill Okay, thank God. Thank God. Listen, Gideon, I, w I was there. I really was there, but... The way my life works is, <laughs> so Gideon's thinking, okay, 22,000, I got 10,000, I got 10,000. God comes to him again and says, hey, Gideon, you still have too many. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but God be working on my one nerve right about now. <laughs> you have too many. He says, go down to the river. I'm going to have those people drink. And the, depending on the way they drink, if they drink from their, uh, from their hand and lap it with like a tongue like a dog, then they're going to be in one group. The ones who put their face in the stream, you're going to put them in a totally different group. So it says 9,700 put their face in a stream while only 300 took water and drank it from their hand. And he says, with this 300, I will deliver the nation. <laughs> I don't, you're clapping now, but if Gideon, I'm telling you right now, if I was Gideon, I'd be like, you've got to be kidding me right now. No, we're going to talk right now. <laughs> like, uh, so I remember reading this and thinking, my goodness, what do you do next? Well, sure enough, I'm, uh, later on that night, God comes to Gideon's tent. No doubt Gideon's probably in a corner breathing through a paper bag in the fetal position. And again, hey, Gideon, you scared? Gideon, you scared? Gideon, you scared? You scared? You scared? Gideon's like, I'm scared. I'm so scared. I'm scared of myself. That's how scared I am. Right? What happens is God says, all right, since you're scared, Go to your enemy's camp, and I'll speak to you there. <laughs> God has too many jokes for one minute, one day. Hey, go to the enemy's camp, and I'll speak to you there. And Gideon's like, no, they're trying to kill us. And you want me to go where? Go, go to the enemy's camp, and I'll speak to you there. So God, sure enough, Gideon is walking through the enemy's camp, and he overhears this dream. In this dream, a man says, I saw a loaf of barley bread. Say barley bread for me. Church, that's going to be important later. It says, I saw a loaf of barley bread coming down the hill, and it literally came down, broke into pieces, and it crushed the entire enemy's camp. 
And another man in the same tent says that could only be one thing, that the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon is going to come down this hill and we're all doomed and we're all going to die. Gideon is overhearing this in the enemy's camp and the Bible says that Gideon bows down, begins to worship and receive courage. I want you to stop the narrative for a second. Just hear me. Gideon is getting overdosed on courage in an enemy's camp. I wonder what's going to happen to you when you're standing in the nations of the world as you are on cough missions, what God is going to do for your marriage, not here in Texas, but in some area where you need a passport to go. I wonder what God's going to do in your kids as you're watching them love on somebody else, lay hands on somebody else, pray for somebody else, minister to a need that they have while they're ministering to somebody else who has the same need. I'm telling you, watch the type of courage that comes on your family from mission trip. I'm not, listen, I'm not saying this because I've, I, I, I think it's a great, and I've seen it. I've done, I've taken my kids to Asia. I've taken them to Africa. I've taken them to South America. My goodness, we left a great church, a great salary, a great position to go be missionaries again. I'm bonded to this life. And it says that Gideon comes back, he comes up with a strategy, and sure enough, in this strategy, he stations his 300 men in groups of 100 to surround the army. It says, watch this, it says that these groups, they take their clay jars, their torches, and you guessed it, trumpets. And so they take clay jars, they throw the clay jars down, the crash of that clay jar wakes up everybody in the camp. Then they see the torches as they're coming out of the tents, and it looks like they're surrounded. Then they hear the trumpets, and it sounds like there's going to be an invasion and an ambush and these enemies begin to flee and no one is chasing them just like it says in Proverbs right and watch this it says God brought a great victory without one sword being drawn one spear being thrown and one arrow being shot that is the God that we serve come on can I get a better amen than that let's pray for just a moment Holy Spirit I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ this morning I ask for an activation to happen right now. I ask for an unsettling. I ask for a holy discomfort to come on us. Lord, that we would be reminded of those, God, that need to hear a message. I'm not okay with two billion people not knowing the name of Jesus, not knowing the hope that's found in that name, not knowing the life that's found in your name, God, not knowing all the truth and the power that's found in your name. And would you mobilize more than 100 people out of church on the hill, God, from all kinds of backgrounds, whether they have the money or don't have the money, whether they have the time or don't have the time, God, that you would Find a way to make room so that people can be on the front lines of missions. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone shout it. Amen. Amen. As you guessed it, uh, we're calling this message Risk It All. I believe that's the season we're in as the church. It's time to risk it all. I remember a time I had to risk it all. I, I actually, um, I, I, was, I grew up in El Paso, Texas. I don't know if anybody knows about the 915. Mostly caramel brown people. All right, so come on, Caramel, make some noise. We're all the Hispanics that, that's right. And yes, we got some chocolate in here. Come on, chocolate. Everybody loves some chocolate. And then we got whipped cream. Come on, whipped cream. Go ahead and make some noise, right? Everybody, this is a Sunday. This is a sweet tooth. Everybody got something sweet in here. And so anyways, so I, I mean, I, I remember I went to a friend. We, she and I were walking out of a prayer meeting at our high school, and you kind of had to know where to walk, or I'm sorry, know where to park at this high school. The only way I knew that is I got kicked out of this high school. <laughs> That's a totally different story. And so uh, I, I remember I'm walking her back, and, and she looks stunned. She's like, where's my car? I said, you park right here? She's like, I parked right here. I said, you can't park here. There's no parking sign right here. She said, well, they don't mean that. I said, well, apparently they do. 
because your car is like no longer here. I think sarcasm was a fruit of the spirit that was left out at some point, right? And so, so sure enough, uh, she says, hey, uh, she, she calls the number. They have her car. She's like, can you give me a ride? I'm like, dope, no problem. I'll give you a ride. So we're driving. Now, this is El Paso, all right? It's desert. It's bright. It's sunny. It's hot. There's not a cloud in the sky. Everything's brown. The ground's brown. The food's brown. The people are brown. Everything's brown. It's all brown. If we want to get exciting, we use beige. Ooh, watch out, beige. Desert, right? So... We, we come into this dirt lot, lot, and I remember we're walking in, and it's bright sunny outside, and as soon as the door closes behind me, I, I rem, I, it's like all the sunlight <laughs> vanished. And then it, there was one long hallway with a light flickering at the end of the hallway like this. I don't know what this is. This is flickering this morning, okay? And so then a, a figure of a man appears, and he yells at me, what do y'all want? And I, I told my friend, I said, hey, hey, that is talking to you. She said, I'm the one that parked in no park. You don't want to park in no park. Don't. How can you park in no park? Stop parking in no park. Jimmy, right, 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 right. Stop parking in no park. I never get garbage. Stop parking in no park. Stop. Okay. Now, I don't know what kind of Christians you hang out with, but at this season of my life, I was hanging out with the crazies. Because, and I'm telling you, like, especially growing up in a Hispanic church, you were always at war. It, it didn't matter. Like, you were always trying to pick a fight with the devil. You were trying to find demons in trees, car batteries, popsicles. It did not matter. There was a devil to be fought and died. There was some, something to die. And so my friend turns to me and she goes, Chris. And I said, what's up? And she's like, we have been sent of the Lord here. And I said, no, 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 no. You have been sent of the Lord here. I knew where to park. And she said, stop playing. I said, you stop playing. She said, stop playing. I said, you stop playing. So I did what any believer does in this situation. I pretended to pray. <laughs> you ever done this when you feel the spiritual pressure coming on you? And you're just like, come on, yeah, let's pray. And you ain't praying. You're just like, God, please don't let this embarrass me. God, I hate that. I'm so uncomfortable right now. But you oversell it too. So I did. I oversold it. I'm sitting there pretending, praying. You know, turning a little dance with a tambourine. It's all whimsical. The whole thing, right? And sure enough, God speaks to me. He says, son, I want you to wash that man's feet. I was like, what's up? He said, son, wash his feet. I said, you wash his feet. I ain't washing his feet, his nasty feet. What you don't know about me is I'm a germaphobe, all right? And I, I do not like eating, washing, touching. I don't do that. Like, I, I, I won't drink after nobody. I love my wife. I kiss her in tongues, but I will not drink after that woman. I refuse to do that. I'm not doing that. I just, I've got, that's, let's, somebody said, you have a spirit. No, I have standards. There's a difference, okay? So, I, 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 Lord's like, wash his feet. I'm like, you created it. You wash his feet, because I ain't washed his feet. And, it, and finally, I feel the holy pressure. Wash his feet. I'm like, fine. So I grabbed this nasty mug they had in this kitchen. I'm sure it, this thing was crusty and gross. I'm sure Moses drank out of this mug. And this guy comes in, and he's a big, heavy guy. Can't believe parking on parking zone. Who gonna parking on parking zone? Stop parking on parking zone. I said, sir, listen, we're sorry, but we're Christians. And God speaks to us. And he told me that he wants me to wash your feet. I think I just heard somebody from Mansfield yell right now. Come on. <laughs> Come on, let's give it up for Mansfield in this room. We love you, Mansfield. Thanks for all that you're doing. And sure enough, uh, I, and he, and I said, can I wash your feet? And he goes, sure. And I was like, what? That happened way too fast. <laughs> you know? So This man a freak. So anyway, so I, he sit down in the chair. I take off his shoe. Y'all. I know what death smells like. It smells like whatever in his shoe. Then I take his sock off, and I don't take it off. I peel it off like it's a banana. 
like it's a moist browning coming off. And then he's got cracks in his heels that are so deep and so big. You could shove deaf, dead elephant carcasses all up in these heels. And then they came over the top of his feet. He had the hairiest feet you have ever seen in your life. Look like a bunch of spiders having a meeting on the top of his head. If a wind would have, it'd have been like that, just like that right there. And then I had a, he, had a, he had a toenail that was yellow. Yellow! Like highlighter glow in the dark, radioactive, yellow. How does that happen? His toenail was so big, it looked like his toe had a tooth. It was nasty. Should have named it Chomper. That's dumb. Anyways, so I remember I take the water, and I'm about to pour it on this man's hoof. And I, and I remember thinking, Lord, this is, this is proof that you hate me. That's what this is. I remember I pour the water on this man's hoof and start combing his hair. <laughs> I'm so, anyways, whatever. And so I'm watching this clean water come off his hoof, black, gray. And I start washing it, and, and I, this is how I started my prayer. I'm a little embarrassed by it, but this is how I started prayer. I said, Lord, these feet have seen some rough years. I was like mad at the feet. <laughs> and then something shifted on the inside of me. And I said, Lord, but these are years the enemy has stolen away from him. And I believe these are years you're going to restore to him. In fact, I see that he's married right now. His wife's name is this. He has two sons, and their names are this. And he's separated from them. And this is a generational curse. But by the power of Jesus that you have put me here at this time, I break it right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you that he's going to be a great husband. He's going to be a great father. I restore this family. We break this cycle. We call him into their destiny. And this big, hairy, sweaty dude began to cry. (laughs) And everything jiggled. Everything moving. Everything. I look at my friend, she's in the corner like this. I look at her and I'm like, sissy. Like I'm some great man of God. That man gave his life to Jesus right there in this moment. It was powerful. It was absolute power in that day, excuse me. I remember I was driving home and I was mad. I was like, God, you can't just show up in my life unannounced like that. Okay, you got to let me know. You got to send me a text message. I even prayed today as a Christian. I'm proud of myself. You should have said something to me in prayer. You should have DM'd me. You should have sent a smoke, a message in a bottle to a brother saying, you're going to wash everybody's patas today. I would have loved something like that. But sure enough, God, I said, Lord, I feel like you're ruining me. And he said, exactly. Because I'm not trying to give you a normal life. And I'm not calling you to have a normal marriage. And I'm not calling you to raise normal kids. And I'm not sending you to a normal church. This is not a normal church. The fact that people want to walk around and say hi to you. The fact that you dream of missions. The fact that you're funding missions already before any of you have even been there. The fact that you guys have small groups and you're loving on people at the depth and the level that you are. You are not normal people. Let's just be honest. Some of you were weird before you got saved. And now that you're, you're just extra now. That's what you are. But it's time to risk it all. And it's not going to happen in normal ways. It's not going to happen when it's convenient. It's not going to happen when you can afford it. It's not going to happen when you have enough vacation days. It's going to happen when you set your heart to be intentional. I came to cause problems for the devil in every nation I put my feet on. And I want to make sure he breaks out into a cold sweat while I'm risking it all. While my family's raising money. While we're praying into it. While we're bonding as a team. It's time for missions to become a focal point again. It's not enough. God's not dreaming of services. He's dreaming of cities. God's not just dreaming about shaking uh, somebody's marriage. He's also dreaming about that wall. How do I transform this nation? We've got to get a bigger vision. And if we're going to risk it all, let me give you three things. Number one, real quick, number one. Number one, stay war ready. Did you notice who got to go to war and who did not? Who got to enjoy a battle and watch God's victory and be on the front lines of what God was doing 
and who did not. The first qualification was, whoever is afraid, stay home. Now watch this. Many times the battle when you're on a mission trip is not what you're facing. It's, the battle is not you, who's in front of you, it's who's next to you. This is not an army full of fear. You are not a people of fear. When you give your life to Jesus, that fear is immediately broken because it says love cast out all fear. Not some fear, not parts of fear, not pieces of fear. Fear is a liar. And if you're scared about what will happen on missions or what will happen here, friend, that's just a lie. It's time that we start, we are not going to disqualify ourselves from being in this army for fear. And then he says, watch this, he says, he says, not just whoever's afraid, but whoever, watch how they drink. I want to bring this right here. I, I've really been preaching for this one right here. And this is interesting. It says, whoever gets down and drinks like this for with their mouth in the stream, I want you to put them in one group. Whoever drinks like this, I want you to put them in another group. Which position is more war ready? The one where you're looking at yourself in the stream and the only thing you can see is yourself. Your needs, your issues, your agenda, your problems, your future, your plans, your money, your comfort. It's all about you. But when your position changes, you still drink from the same river. You still go to the same church. You're still hearing the same messages. But there are some that will go and be used by God and there are some who will not. And it's all about how they drink. Because this position, which one's more ready? This one can see an ambush coming. This one can see a different route. This one can hear something better. This one's not occupied with everything that they are. They're looking out for everyone else. I'm here to tell you, stay war ready, church on the hill, because we're going to need you in the mission field this year. Here's the second thing, if we're going to risk it all. Number two, where is God calling you to stand? I know where God's calling me to stand. July 2020. I'm going to be standing on the front lines, believing God's going to take care of a homeless issue in Los Angeles. I believe that what God's going to do with the foster care and system is going to be reborn. Can I tell you that there is, that in Los Angeles, I'm not sure if it's the same in Texas, but in Los Angeles, you can literally take kids out of a home if they don't have a box spring, a mattress, a running fridge. Yank them out of the home. Well, then they're put into a foster care system, which they only have up to age 16. They can literally measure how many homeless people they have based on how many kids enter into the foster care system just like that. They can also tell you how big the prisons will be in five years from how many kids go in like that. It is literally, we, the, the Dream Center in Los Angeles, great friends, uh, I, we, they tested it with just providing 100 full bed sets, 100 refrigerators, they saved the city over a million dollars just by doing that. Can I tell you where, where is you, where are you supposed to be standing in 2020 or 2021? Some of you, it might need to be Israel. It might be the Navajo nation. It might need to be somewhere else, but let it not be said that you were standing in the wrong place at the wrong time. Let it be. I would rather be standing in a war zone if it's in the will of God. It's the safest place to be. Where is he calling you to stand? Notice God says, Hey, Gideon, go to the enemy's camp and I'll speak to you there. Uh, and then, then he overhears this dream. Let's talk about this dream. It says, I saw a loaf of barley bread. Everybody say barley bread. Barley bread, what you may or may not know, does not stick well together. If it comes down a hill, it breaks off into crumbs. Else crumbs become nothing. Here's what's interesting. Is that's exactly a prophetic picture of what God just did to Gideon's army. He took it from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. What God is saying is, I don't need the crumbs. I, I, I don't need the best, I just need the crumbs. 
What he's saying is, I don't need the strongest, I need the crumbs. I don't even need you to be ready, I just need your crumbs. Is anyone grateful for the broken places in their life that God reached down and weaponized those crumbs and it brought a great marriage or it brought you closer to God or it brought someone behind? Don't be ashamed of your crumbs. Don't sit there and say, well, I'm not ready. I'm not, I'm not a solid Christian yet. I've watched lost kids. Eric and I know this. I've watched lost kids bring them. I've forced them to come on mission trip, and they met God while they were missionary. I work at, I've worked at Bible colleges for the last decade. I can't tell you how many of them will say, I got saved when we did an encounter weekend, the first weekend in the Bible college. This has nothing to do with you being ready. Many times we're too addicted to being ready. I want to be right time ready. I want to have all the money ready. I want it to fit in the calendar ready. You will never be ready. This book is not full of people that had a plan. Have you read this thing? Hey, Noah, go build a boat where there's no water. David, go kill a giant with no armor. Hey, Moses, hit the rock and water going to come out the rock. Either you've spoken too much of what you're selling or that's exactly what you heard was the voice of God. Get, listen, God never said you'd be ready. What he did say is, I will be with you, and I will never leave you, and I will put you in positions that even if you don't know what to say, in the moment you need to say it, you will know it. How do we do that? Is we know where to stand. Could it be that we're lacking the type of faith and courage that transforms nations because we're not standing on the other side of a risk? I came to tell you this morning, risk it all. And the last thing, if we're going to do that, we have to understand our God is a weapon. What most people forget, the historical value of this text, what most people forget is that Gideon and the entire army has been de-armed. There's not one sword among them. In fact, you'll find this in Judges chapter 5, verse 8 in the Song of Deborah. It says there was not one sword, one shield, or one spear among them. Not nothing. They were willing to go fight an army, literally fight an army with no weapons. How does that happen? Because they had one. The only one they've ever needed. The only one that ever mattered. The only one that's actually changed something can literally take nothing and make it into something. Our God is a weapon. Our God still has strategies that we have not seen the best of the church, the best of the Holy Spirit, the best God can do. We are not, my Bible says he saves the best for last. The wine was sweeter before it was, I believe, let me tell you, I believe that in this church, I feel this prophetically, I believe in this church that there are people, this is not a church, this is an armory. This is an arsenal. And the enemy would love for you to go ahead and make other plans and go ahead and crowd it around. I'm telling you, the biggest test for some of you this week as you hear these mission trips here in the next moment, the biggest test for some of you is canceling the plans you already have made. It got real quiet up in the Spirit-filled church. I believe our God is a weapon. I've watched, I've seen too much. I've been exposed too much. I, I, I've been, I, I've received it myself in so many ways. I feel like someone in Mansfield needs to hear this. Your God is a weapon. I, I, I love this. The Bible says it. He grabs a trumpet in Judges chapter 6 verse 34 and it says the Spirit of God comes on him. Do you know this is a Hebrew picture language that we were reading? When it says the Spirit of God comes on him, we think God just came all over Gideon. It's actually opposite. It's literally Gideon was a costume and God put Gideon on. This is exactly what happens on this side of the cross. It's no longer I that live, but Christ in me, right? Christ in me is the hope of glory. I am hidden in Christ Jesus. Are you following me? Our God is a weapon. You know, stay sitting with every head bowed. The truth is, is that every head bowed, every eye closed, please. There's truth is you can't risk it all until you understand who gave it all. And that is Jesus.
There's only one man that has ever loved your soul enough to lay down his entire life for your pain, your frustration, your sin. Those moments of weakness that you're so frustrated about, the addictions that you're so beyond, that therapy's not helping, pills are not helping. There's no other way you'll see that cycle broken. The only way this happens is by you surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, you say, Pastor Chris, I, I need to give my life to Jesus. I know we're talking about missions, and I know we're going to hear about it, but I, I have got to make most of this moment. I'm in pain. I, I, I'm in confusion. I'm in struggle. I'm, I'm, I can't stand this wickedness in my life. I don't want this anymore. If that's you, if that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, would you raise your hand and say, would you pray for me? I need to give my life to Jesus this morning. Who am I talking to? Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. My goodness, I love this. Awesome, I love it. Church, would you look up at me? I, we had several friends raise their hands. I want to tell my friends, I, I will want to pray with you, and I want to ask the whole church, would you repeat after me? But the problem, or not the problem, the, the real power of all of this is not the magical words we'll repeat, it's the meaning in your heart. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth but believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. And I want to help our friends that raised their hand today. And I believe we don't do anything alone in the church. The first thing God said was bad was man should not be alone. We don't do anything alone. And so I'd like the church to pray with some volume and some strength and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I thank you. You died for me. You rose again. You're alive today. You risked it all. Now I'm going to do the same. I thank you. Send me. Put a purpose in my heart. Put a vision in my heart that I would launch into missions this next year. In your name I pray. Amen.